Let me get to our guest, Aaron Rice, Director of Mississippi Justice Institute. Um, and lots of things going on there. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Paul. How you doing? It is good to have you, sir. Appreciate it so very, very much. Absolutely. You Thanks haven't for been having in me. the studio in a while. It has been a while. We've just been uh, been so busy. <laughs> well, and I thank you for coming in. Uh, you got two things here that I want before we get to anything else. And I mean, these are these are pretty big deals. And the first is that Missouri case. How did you guys get involved in that? Yeah, we got involved in that, really kind of coming to the aid of some of our friends at a group called the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Yeah. And so they had they filed a lawsuit on behalf of two teachers uh, who uh, were compelled to attend some anti-racism training um, at their public school district. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of a compelled speech case. I mean, if you're familiar with anti-racism training, one of the tenets of that is that it's racist to disagree with anti-racism theory. And so uh, these teachers were told they had to go to this training. Uh, you know, of course, there they were, you know, told all kinds of things about, um, you know, the, the tenets of anti-racism training that we're all familiar with, that, you know, that they were oppressors, that they were racist and all of that. And uh, but interestingly, they were required to speak in this training and say whether they agreed or disagreed with these tenets. And uh, one of the teachers said that she disagreed with it and was told that she was wrong and that she needed to work on herself. Um, and of course, you know, kind of labeled a racism because again, it's it's considered racist to disagree with anti-racist theory. And so, uh, another teacher just went along even though she disagreed with it, and and Crazy. you know, said that she agreed with all of these things. And so. Uh, the Southeastern Legal Foundation filed a lawsuit on behalf of those teachers where we come in and, and it gets worse, Paul, is that uh, the, the federal judge in Missouri threw that case out of court. And not only did he throw it out, but he uh, ordered the public school teachers to pay nearly $300,000 in attorney's fees to the government for bringing that case. And so uh, they have appealed it to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that's where we stepped in and got involved, too, to, again, to help our friends at the Southeastern Legal Foundation. And so we filed a brief uh, on appeal supporting the position of these teachers, first of all, arguing that uh, the, the district court should be reversed. They, they should go back down to the trial court and have their day in court on their claims. But second of all, that they cert certainly should not be required to pay nearly $300,000 in yeah, attorney's yeah. fees to the government for having brought this. <laughs> so that... The whole thing really chills the speech of these teachers, but this uh, this three hundred thousand dollar attorney's fee award is really a shot across the bow that sends the message that nobody else should ever push back on this, you know, DEI and anti-racism training Absolutely. in schools. Yeah. E even in, the, in in the local high schools or elementary schools. Yeah, absolutely. We, we hear people who say that doesn't happen in Mississippi, and then as soon as it happens, we get um, a, a lot of people who said, yeah, it's happening in our state. As a matter of fact, we had a gentleman on the air not that long ago said it was happening up in the northern part of the state. Yeah, I think so. I think tra transparency is going to be an issue that we're going to need to work on in Mississippi because it's like you said right now, so much of it is word of mouth, and it's hard to really get verification on exactly yeah. what is being taught. Here, here's what I was looking for here, thumbing through this while you're talking, because I think it fits in here. There was a new poll out there, and I, I don't even know if Democrats look at polls anymore that they don't like. They just they they're so tied to those small fractions or those small demos like the LGBTQ. Uh, the trans uh, units and everything else that uh, they don't wafer from that at all. But trends in polling from the last five years are showing that Americans are becoming more conservative in their opinions on transgenderism and other related issues such as what you just talked about. 
Pew Research has reported a notable, noticeable increase in their results of Americans expressing agreement that a person's gender is determined by their sex at birth. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think this would be a story a few years ago. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's been very interesting to see how quickly all of this has taken form. And are, are you amazed at how much power these small groups have? It is. It's uh, it's it's very interesting, like you said. I mean, uh, I mean, if you just talk about trans transgender transgender issues in general, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you're like you're pointing out, you're really talking about a very very uh, small percentage of the American population that that would even fall into that camp to begin with. But then you know, all of America has to change everything they do to kind of fit that that mold. So yeah, uh, yeah it is yeah. very interesting to me. The, those who actually identify, and I'm not talking about uh, trans only, but those who identify as lesbian or gay or bisexual or trans, the entire grouping there in India is 1%. Yeah. Ireland, 2.6. New Zealand, 2.7. Spain, 2.8. Argentina, 3. Brazil, 3.5. Germany, 3.9. In the United States, only 4.5% of the entire population identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. The highest in the Netherlands at 6%. Canada is 5.3%. Yep. So we are about 5, 4.5% uh, in this country. Yep. But they do have the, the love of the administration and the media. Absolutely. Mm. Um, back to the, on that polling, I did also want to mention this. According to the 2023 Gallup poll, there's been an increase in Americans who think the changing gender is morally wrong. And uh, there's also been an increase among Republicans and independents while the Democrats are believing uh, it is morally wrong decrease. So <laughs> the the morality of the Democrats is sinking. Did you see any of the wonderful video from the Pride March in Seattle? I did not see it. I, I heard some of the vulgar things that were displayed there. And, you know, that goes to what I think is the real concern here, which is, you know, children being present for that kind of thing. And you just mentioned, you know, people's views about the morality of changing mm-hmm. genders in general. But to me, the big takeaway where the, you know, transgender movement has really gone off the rails is when it started involving children. And so when you started having, you know, pushes yep. for uh, hormone treatment for children or even surgeries for children or exposing them you know, to some of these ideas that might confuse them and at an early age and things like that. That's I think that's when a lot of people started pushing back and saying, look, if you know, y'all can do whatever you want. But when you start affecting our kids, we're going to draw a line there. Aaron Rice, who is director of Mississippi Justice Institute. Aaron, do we not have uh, any of those vulgarity laws on the books or but they are they on the books and everybody just ignores them? Because, I mean, you actually had numerous men, and I mean out of shape, middle-aged and older men, buck naked. I'm not, yeah. I'm talking maybe with shoes and socks on, but that was it. Yeah. On bicycles, riding around, kids uh, in the parade route, and this, you even had a couple of congressmen, U.S. congressmen, who were on the news a little bit earlier this morning talking about how they were a part of the, the parade and God bless all of the LGBTQs. That's fine. We're not saying anything about them. We're just saying that this open display of nudity and profanity is accepted. Not even, it's more than accepted. 
It's it's encouraged. Celebrated, yeah. That would be a matter of state law, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do have laws that outlaw that kind of, uh, you know, vulgar display in public yeah. and that, like you said, that it was just ignored. And there's so many other things, too. There's a state, state Supreme Court case that could impact future school choice legislation. We need to talk about that Absolutely. and other things with Aaron Rice when we return right after this. Um, I I was listening earlier this morning, and Aaron Rice is my guest, the director of Mississippi Justice Institute. We talk about books on the law, books on the on uh, in uh, laws on the books, and also talk about things like verbiage used by uh, the media and what they go after, what they don't go after. But this mass shooting thing is driving me crazy because. Um, about every shooting they want to quantify as mass shooting, they do. Whether it's two people or ten people, whether it's four people shot, nobody dies, or if one person dies, it just goes over and over. A mass shooting is a crime in which an attacker kills or injures multiple individuals simultaneously using a firearm. So it's much like what is an assault rifle, it's subjective to whatever you want to say it is. But I'm I'm looking at one of the articles out there. They never cover mass shootings. For instance, on Memorial Day weekend in the city of Memphis, 15 people got shot. One died as a result of that. That was not counted. 154 homicides this year in Memphis. You had eight people shot, three of them fatally, 4.30 this morning or yesterday morning, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and then you go on to Chicago, and in Chicago, they had 75 people shot over the weekend, 14 fatally. Mm. That's not counted in their mass shootings. So I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just aggravating to understand that we've been let down by the media and how important an honest, uncorrupt media is to this country. Yeah. It always has been. And they have a vital part to play in our freedoms, and they have, have abdicated that responsibility. And it's 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 sad. We have a case that you guys, you guys have a case that uh, it's in the state Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And tell me about that and how yeah. it affects school yeah. choice in the Absolutely. future. This is another case that we've gotten involved in uh, while an appeal is pending. And so this, this case is called the uh, Parents for Public Schools versus the Mississippi Department of Finance and Administration. And what it involves is that uh, the state appropriated some federal COVID relief funds, you know, some ARPA funds to some private schools that were impacted by COVID and needed to, you know, update their infrastructure to prevent, you know, transmission and things like that. And so the issue in the case is that we actually have a a provision in the Mississippi Constitution that says uh, public funds cannot be appropriated for uh, private schools or sectarian schools or or non-public, you know, schools that aren't free public schools in the state. And so... Uh, this group of parents uh, brought a lawsuit challenging that appropriation. And there's an argument there in that case about whether this appropriation really runs afoul of the Mississippi constitutional provision because, uh, you know, it was really federal dollars, not state dollars and things Mm -hmm. like that. But that's not really the concern that we have and why we're getting involved. Uh, The concern we have is that what seems to be getting lost in the case uh, is that um, even if that aid uh, to the schools, you know, did run afoul of the Mississippi Constitution, one thing that does not violate the Constitution is if the state doesn't appropriate money directly to private schools, but instead provides aid to students who then spend that 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 
public money at a private school. So, for example, just a, a backpack type uh, school choice law is what a lot of people mm-hmm. call it. You give the, the money to the kid, it goes in their backpack, wherever the kid goes, they can spend that money. And so uh, our concern is that uh, if we were to pass school choice legislation in the future, that it might be impacted by this case if this case is not clear that, uh, you know, when the Supreme Court, when the Mississippi Supreme Court issues its uh, final opinion in this case, that, you know, aid to students does not violate the Mississippi Constitution. And so we filed a brief with the Mississippi Supreme Court making that argument and saying regardless of how you rule on these, you know, federal ARPA funds and, and how they were appropriated, you need to make clear in your ruling that, you know, aid can be provided to students who then spend that money at private schools. Is that going to make it any easier as far as the legislature is concerned in the future? It, it will, but, but uh, you know, rather than making it easier, the, the, mm-hmm. the real goal is to make sure it's not precluded. So, so yeah. you know, we want to make sure that if the legislature does decide in the future to pass some school choice legislation, it is not hindered by this Mississippi Supreme Court case that is pending right now. And, you know, maybe that opinion coming out and, and making it unclear as to whether the legislature could provide aid directly to students. And so we want the court to be clear that even if it does strike down this appropriation of federal funds, it makes clear that if the state wants to provide money directly to students, it can do that. It's going to be interesting, and I don't think it will. You've had some uh, states, I think Kansas and a couple of other ones, Florida and several other states, are all moving towards school choice. Yep. I hope we're not the last one in the union to do that. It is a, it is amazing. You would think that we would be, yeah. you know, one of the one of the first states uh, in that that list, and and we aren't. Like you said, it has been discouraging. And so, right now, in terms of this litigation, it's more about us trying to help keep the opportunity open for us to join that list. Yeah. And you know, of course, we have the efforts we've made with charter schools and things like that. But absolutely, like you said, we would like to see more uh, school choice laws in Mississippi and and open that opportunity up more. And so we're trying to to keep that window of opportunity there for us to do that if we choose to. One of the things that's the ingredients people don't understand this, the winning ingredients that makes us the most exceptional nation that's ever been on the face of the earth is our freedoms under the Constitution in this Democrat Republic form of government. And when you start looking at that, capitalism is the the best because it has competition and competition jives with the the law of the earth in 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 uh, just the strongest survive yeah and 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 that's basically excluded in the socialistic form of what we have in public schools out there yeah anytime you have a monopoly yeah. as what you're saying you know you're going to have uh, poor quality and you're going to have, you know, it's going to cost more and all of that. And, and when you open up, you know, uh, opportunity for other people to offer a service mm-hmm. and to, to make sure that they can uh, serve customers or students or parents better, That's then it. you're going to have better results. Any Anytime you have that competition, it, it's, it's, an, it's an antiseptic to failure. And it helps every man, woman, and child, uh, from the parents to the kids in school, regardless of what their ethnicity or gender happens to be. Absolutely. But the most disappointing thing is that we haven't moved forward on this one with a Republican majority in the House and Senate. Yeah. And uh, in the governor's office. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen now, it's certainly not going to happen when you have some Democrats come in or retain leadership in the future. Hopefully, that'll be a long time. 
What else is going on? Well, we've uh, we just also uh, filed a brief in our abortion case that you're probably familiar with. I think we've yes. talked on this show a yeah. little bit about, and so we've still got a uh, an opinion here on the books in Mississippi that's kind of our mini version of Roe v. Wade, and. You know, uh, of course, it's kind of being ignored right now, uh, but it's still there and it's actually affecting some uh, physicians that we are representing. There's some pro-life physicians Mm. and uh, they are uh, belong to organizations, medical organizations that uh, have ethics rules that say we we can discipline you if you don't refer patients for abortions, if you have a moral objection to that. Uh, But all of those organizations also make clear that if you're complying with state law, that, you know, we won't punish you for that. And, of course, if you get punished by these organizations, it could potentially even lead to to punishment by the state. But uh, so they make clear that they won't punish you if you're complying with state law. But it's actually not clear uh, what the status of the law in Mississippi is, because we've got a statute that says elective abortion is illegal. But we still actually have this old Mississippi Supreme Court case that says abortion is a constitutional right under the Mississippi Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's called Mississippi Pro-Choice, or Pro-Choice Mississippi versus Fordyce is that case. And like I said, that's our version of Roe v. Wade, and it's still on the books here. And so we filed a lawsuit um, for these pro-life physicians uh, asking the Mississippi Supreme Court, ultimately it will be decided by the Mississippi Supreme Court to overturn that old, you know, Fordyce opinion and make clear that elective abortion is illegal in Mississippi. Director of the Mississippi Justice Institute, Aaron Rice. It's hard to believe this is the anniversary of Dobbs. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It is, and it's uh, a good time to, to bring up this uh, this case that's yes. still out there. And I'm looking forward to seeing some of the numbers, and I'm hoping all the agencies or whomever is charged with doing this gives us an idea of how many babies, how many abortions we had, how, to, to see that decrease, to see the population, to see maybe adoptions going up and things such as that in our state. Absolutely. Final segment with Aaron Rice coming up next. Some people wondering who's, uh, whose accent would change the most, Caldwell or Aaron Rice, uh, after a long association. But I, I haven't detected too much as far as the accent. I mean, in, in British in your way. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't think mine has changed yet. But I don't no, know. No. I'm sure when he goes back home across the pond, they'll probably say, well, you sound different. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Uh, just a quick mention on this one. We had uh, still Auditor Shad White on last week, and we were talking about the millions of dollars spent in diversity training at our universities. No avenue for involvement in that. 
uh, avenue for involvement from from us. Yeah, you know it's interesting. We actually did a similar thing to uh, uh, to Auditor White. Um, I think this was back in 2018. We sent some public records requests to mm -hmm. the universities to get uh, that same kind of information. We probably couldn't compel them to give us as much as the auditor could under state law, but we got uh, some public records and we did a report. This was, I think we probably published it in 2019 and it was about higher education in general, but we had, <clears throat> excuse me, a, uh, a section in that report that dealt with, you know, this DEI uh, uh, spending by the universities and kind yeah. of, so we were kind of a canary in the coal mine on that, uh, talking about that as far, early as 2018 and 2019 about how much of our state dollars were going to this, you know, DEI uh, work at universities. Um, in terms of uh, legal involvement, um, I'd have to think about it. You know, I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. You know, for example, uh, that Missouri case we talked about is is an example where, uh, in in public schools, and of course we're talking about a high school in that case, but where the government has uh, has, at least arguably in our in our mind, they they have crossed the line into compelling speech or chilling somebody's speech, which is an injury uh, under our Constitution. If, if I am intimidated from being able to speak and to, to express my true views, and I'm basically told by the government that I have to adopt some creed that they think I should adopt and, and some belief that I should adopt, um, if I'm either forced to say that I agree with that or, or chilled, uh, you know, uh, made to be afraid or intimidated from saying what I believe, then that can you know involve a lawsuit yeah. and, and a, a discrimination lawsuit and a free speech lawsuit, and so you know that's an example where we've been able to get involved because what's going on rises to the level of a constitutional issue. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the spending overall, I think that may be more of a political issue that you know the people of Mississippi, and that's why you know uh, the work that Auditor White is doing. I think that's part of why he's doing it is to let people at least know what the facts are, and then the people of Mississippi can decide if that's how they want their state funds to be appropriated. Take off your director's hat for a moment. Just You're looking at the national scene, what's going on with the military as a combat veteran, and you're looking at what's going on at the White House. Private citizen Aaron Rice, your thoughts? Just in general, with are we talking about Ukraine or are we talking yeah, about I'm in talking, general? I'm talking about Hunter Biden and, and all the things that are going on, especially with the sanctity of what we deserve and should expect from the FBI and, and the Justice Department. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just speak more generally that uh, I think what you're driving at, that, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps and serving overseas and all of that kind of thing, I mean, you need to have uh, the, the faith and trust in your institutions in general. And that mm -hmm. goes from the president, who's the, you know, commander in chief, uh, you know, on down. And, and, and that's what, you know, drives recruitment in the military is that you have young men and women who believe in our institutions, believe in our country and, and our way of life and, um, and are willing to stand up and fight for that. And so, um, you know, just in general, we need to have strong institutions. We need to have, uh, you know, uh, good leaders and all of that in order for us to recruit people. And we are, we are uh, falling down on our recruitment. We've got an all volunteer, yep. we've got an all volunteer military. And for the first time in, in many, many years, um, we're, we're starting to not be able to meet the recruitment goals that we have in order to sustain that all volunteer military. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we absolutely need to have strong institutions and strong leaders so that we can continue to, to have the military we need to have. You know, you take a look at the, the juxtaposition between the memes that are every day on these platforms 
And it hit me this morning because I'm watching one with uh, these really naked men on bicycles uh, in the parade route right in front of these kids. One fat guy, naked all, I think he had his underwear on, twerking in front of these young kids. And the parents having a great time showing their kids this. <laughs> then the next meme was a classroom, which was a very la- large classroom. And I, I think probably the age was somewhere around maybe, I, I don't know, 10 to 12-year-old Chinese students all at the same time going through the practice of how to break down a pistol and put it back together. <laughs> that is quite the juxtaposition. Now, yeah, that, that is juxtaposition, is it not? It Whoa. absolutely is. Aaron's always a pleasure having Good you. Good talking sir. to you, Gallo. Thanks Thank for you, having man. me. Appreciate it more. If you want more information, go to MississippiJustice.org. Good work, guys. Back with more Roger Winker, 805.